0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Blackwell Online Podcast. My name is George Miller, and my guest today is journalist and broadcaster David Aronovich. His latest book, Voodoo Histories, bears the explanatory subtitle, How Conspiracy Theory Has Shaped Modern History. It's a bracing rebuff to those who believe that there are sinister plots all around us concealing the truth on everything from the moon landings and the assassination of President Kennedy, to the death of Princess Diana and the events of 9-11. David is known for his sharp sense of humour. But, I remarked at the beginning of the interview, his aim in his new book goes much further than simply wanting to poke fun at a roll call of cranky beliefs.
1: Oh, much, much more than uh, poke fun at them. In fact, I hope that isn't a very significant part of what I've done. I mean, if there is a sort of, you know, certain level of mordancy creeps through, I think it's because, you know, the subject matter lends itself to it. Essentially, I mean, I, t- t- two things I wanted to do. One was just actually to get into the down and dirty argument about whether or not our life was full of conspiracies. And to do that, I really actually had to go into some of the big conspiracy theories and, and, and work out how they'd been constructed and what was wrong with them. But it was also important in doing that that I didn't just sort of repeat myself over and over again. So I tried to take very different theories or a series of different theories and see both what was different about them, what they had in common. So there is the kind of element of the book, which is, you know, here's the book for the person who's in the pub, the next time they see that guy who tells you, look, you know. The second aspect of it, though, was very important to me, which was to try and understand why people liked them so much, and what they did for us. There's not really quite so much of a them and us in some aspects of this, because, It's not as if I've never believed conspiracy theories. I did it in a very passive way and not an active way like people do. But nevertheless, I bought into into a few of my times, just sort of gently assumed that they were true. And so actually there's a, a voyage of discovery in there as well for me. But I wanted to understand across the range what the necessity was for believing that there, in most situations, could be a more complex and counterintuitive truth than our lives would normally suggest, which is essentially what conspiracy theory is. Mm.
0: And you came to the conclusion that they do fulfil some deep seated psychological need in us. And and particularly in men, I thought that was interesting.
1: Oh, for certainly in men. I mean coming in here there was a little demonstration outside of nine eleven activists and there might have been a woman there, but I think I'm right in saying that we're talking about just about men. And over the years that there have been Women theorists. They have been gro- grossly outnumbered by men. And I think this may be, I mean, I can only speculate about it because how could you possibly oh. test any hypothesis to do with this? But my speculation is that, if you like, women's internal discontents, what you might call hysterical reactions, are probably projected onto the body, maybe sometimes onto children, uh, their children. For men who have a sort of greater expectation, maybe to run the world or to order the world, to order the exterior world, they're projected onto the outside world, the way the world is organised in the form of conspiracy theories. I mean, the second aspect of that is that conspiracy theories, their origination and most of their dissemination is almost entirely a property of the intelligentsia. They don't emanate from peasant societies, by and large, from the bottom of peasant societies, or from the industrial proletariat, or even even from the suburban middle classes and so on. They are almost entirely something which are constructed by and disseminated by academics, classically, Mm. students,
0: journalists, uh, and other kind of professionals. And the internet's been a a magnificent... Propagation mechanism for for conspiracy theories. Well, this it? is
1: this is the group of people who always, in a sense, are where propagation is going on. You know, so they will be the people who had access to creating pamphlets when pamphlets were the main way you disseminated information, and now with the internet, there isn't even that degree of requirement and of course some in the case of 9-11 conspiracy theories what you have is an increasingly sophisticated use not just of the internet as a kind of tool of communication between separate people but for the creation of movies for instance mean, as in the case of the loose change movie in the united states which has been seen by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people
0: how pernicious and corrosive do you think Uh, conspiracy theories are as a phenomenon?
1: Uh, Some of them are only really assaults on the intellect. You know, in in other words, they don't actually do a terrific amount of damage. And I have to admit that the part of the book that I most enjoyed writing was actually dealing with one or two conspiracy theories that I would be hard-pushed to find any great harm that's been done to anybody, except as I say, you know, they have sold books which might more probably have been uh, history books, proper history books being sold rather than this sort of faux history and nonsense and so on. Others are mildly damaging in that they kind of locate somebody who might get the blame and that would be sort of unpleasant for them. Others are hugely damaging, absolutely hugely damaging. I mean, take two, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion notion Which was the original great Jewish conspiracy notion, propagated largely after the First World War, was pretty instrumental in getting a section of the German intelligentsia behind the position that these otherwise very integrated Jews who in German society were in some way responsible for what was going on. But it wasn't just believed in Germany, I mean it was believed, Winston Churchill believed it for a while, the editor of the Times believed it for a while, for heaven's sake. So the idea that this is sort of some far out there, and of course now it's very widely propagated in Arab societies and uh, in Iran. 9-11 conspiracy theories are also actually kind of unexpectedly damaging. They're not going to change governments here in, in britain and america but the residue of them and the fact that they were here does wash off into arab countries and into the middle east into other countries where they're being believed makes it that much more difficult in a sense to kind of construct the alliance you would need to take on islamist fundamentalism Uh, and in fact there was a report in the times by anatole Levin, who'd just come back from pakistan saying exactly that that he felt After speaking to all these people, that the almost universal belief in Pakistan that there was, that Bush was responsible for 9-11, actually was a demobilising factor in the battle against the Taliban there right now, which arguably is currently the most important battle which is being fought anywhere.
0: And finally, David, I wanted to ask you, you you were honest enough to say at the beginning that you had not yourself been entirely immune to Mm. the seduction of conspiracy theories. Would you be willing to confess which ones in the past you had been drawn to?
1: Almost my entire generation believed that JFK was the victim of conspiracy. I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, that's one of the reasons, I I don't think I ever met anybody for a long while who said, oh, no definitely a lone government i mean you know right down to kind of woody allen's uh, jokes about it um and so on and so i just accepted this was the situation you know the logistics of it were impossible in the way that had always been suggested when i think when i first saw oliver stone's jfk movie like a lot of other people i thought oh yeah right you make a pretty strong case here and i didn't know that it was an absolute pile of garbage but nevertheless uh, and uh, Oh, this is sort of embarrassing, really, but, I mean, not terribly. When the BBC Chronicle programmes first put on the programmes that led up to the Holy Blood, Holy Grail, which then led up by sacred bloodline to the Da Vinci Code, by sacred publishing bloodline to the Da Vinci Code, when I first saw those programmes, I guess I was 17 or something, I thought they were wonderful, and it never occurred to me that they were bollocks.
0: David Aronovich. Voodoo Histories is out now in paperback. That's all for this edition of the Blackwell Online podcast, but you'll find full details about the book, as well as several million more, on the Blackwell website at blackwell.co.uk. I'll be back again soon with another edition of the programme, and until then, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.